What's going on, coaches? Hopefully, uh, last few weeks of the season are going your way. Um, if they are, and you're looking for one last little uh, change or thing that you can get, uh, or if your season's over and you're already getting ready for next year, like me and Coach Walls are, uh, Coach Walls has just put up uh, our newest RTP install on levels. Uh, so we've just added to our levels series. Uh, go check it out on RTP at runthepower.com. Uh, he just put that up in the RTP install. Uh, it's an awesome video. I've, I've watched it uh, several times now. Um, it should help you guys help you out uh, understanding some of our levels concepts and uh, how we run and, and teach some of that stuff. So uh, go check that out on RTP install, just $10 a month. Um, you guys, uh, we've got over hundreds of coaches, a part of RTP install, and uh, they love it. We get messages all the time how, how awesome it is and, and uh, just how much ball we get to talk. We love it. So anything you guys need from us, head over to runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at Team Builder. Team Builder is again offering coaches a free in-season football strength program. As you may recall, the New England Patriots squat up to 90% of their one-rep max deep into the playoffs. If your in-season strength and conditioning philosophy and your playoff philosophy is just to maintain, then you're doing it wrong. You can get the program once you start a 14-day free trial with Team Builder, which is Team B-U-I-L-D-R. Just reach out and tell them that you heard it from me, Rowdy, and the RTP podcast. Or use the code RTP when you sign up for your free trial at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R, dot com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up, as you guys know, with their product, uh, and it's been a game changer for us all season. We uh, love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, uh, inside zone, power obviously, uh, counter and, and pin and pull, and even some outside zone uh, more this year. So uh, we can save time, be more productive, have a little bit of time with our family during the season. Just Play has a limited time off for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120. That is $60 off the normal list price. This offer has been extended uh, and it won't last much longer. Get this deal at justplaysolutions.com slash RTP the best playbook tool on the market at justplaysolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait, go do it today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with one of my very best coaching friends, uh, Coach Ben Dixon. Coach Dixon is currently the wide receivers coach at Dort University in Sioux Center, Iowa. Listen as we talk with Coach Dixon about his journey throughout the Midwest, playing and coaching football, his days with me over at Broken Arrow, and his awesome and unique way to empower his wide receivers in the meeting rooms and on the field. You can follow Coach Dixon on Twitter at Coach Ben Dixon. Hope you guys enjoy. Finally got Coach Dixon on the podcast. Finally, yeah. This is this is my uh, crowning accomplishment. Oh man, you need to pick better accomplishments. No, we've we you know we've had some technically big names, but I've been working Coach Dixon now for um, uh, two years to get on the podcast. We finally got a date sorted out, and and finally got you on talking football with us. Well, so you know, I just I didn't want to ruin it early. <laughs> I don't think so. And then we even had a, a Coach Dixon sighting um, uh, via audio with uh, Scotty Walden. 
Yeah, Scotty, man, that that was a blast in the past a little bit. We we connect every once in a while, but uh, he was fun to be around, man. It's no surprise, like the success he's having. He's he was a natural born leader. I was his backup quarterback, right? And I was sad when he transferred. You know, <laughs> you know, he's just that talented of a dude. Great leader, great guy. I was going to say, when, and we can go ahead and get get started into it. Um, I'll still let you kind of give your football journey, even though um, you know, I, me and Coach Walls know it. I probably know it maybe a little more than Walls, but um, that you know, I, I'm excited to kind of talk about even you know, you guys, like he said, starting. And, and I didn't want to ask him because I knew we were going to have you on, but kind of starting a whole college program, which is is a a really cool deal. Uh, you know, when you went through it, but uh, so we'll still go ahead and start like always. Um, but so let you kind of give your football background from uh, playing days to, to coaching and where that brought you to where you are now. All right. So I grew up in a small town in Kingman, Kansas. You know, I graduated with about 70 kids. That might have been bigger than Brady School, I guess. But um, <laughs> I uh, went from no, there. I, I got you, man. We, we would blow you out. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, a lot of people did, I think, if I remember correctly. But um, – <laughs> Yeah, so graduated from Kingman, you know, played four sports back then, uh, doubled up in the springs, baseball and tennis, you know, and uh, I don't think I ever told Rowdy I was a tennis guy, probably kept that a secret. But, uh, <laughs> that's why you coached quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, then went and played at Dort, Uni- Dort College back then, uh, quarterback for a couple years, and then kept getting out recruited, to be honest, and moved over to a little running back, and then my senior year played linebacker if you want to call it playing not a great tackler hadn't done it in about six years but um it was a good experience good benefit to me going into coaching um then I was a student assistant here at Dort for one semester was going to GA um right out of school and uh then our coaching staff left and I decided that they offered me one of the assistants offered me an opportunity to go coach in Ponca City Oklahoma um 6a school down there and uh so i decided to go take that make a little more money out the gate i guess but um i became the db coach that first year and then was named the co-oc years two three and four um with a guy named steve McHenry. head coach was josh allen and those years i learned probably more football in a short amount of time than i could have imagined it's like getting a master's degree you know right out of the gate because I was all of a sudden a co-OC calling the plays on Friday night. And looking back, I wish I would have known what I know now. Now I feel like I did those kids a disservice a little bit. But I go from that and then got hired on at Broken Arrow by Coach Alexander. And that's where I kind of met Rowdy and uh, Brady. I think we coached together for a couple weeks, maybe a week. I don't know. You gave me a pair of shoes and then left. <laughs> the parting uh, gift, man. <laughs> yeah, I still have those shoes, so I'm in the closet today. Yeah. But, uh, um, coached there for a couple of years, and, man, that was some of the most fun I've ever had coaching football. You know, that staff there, especially that second year with Dave and Jay and Broyles and, you know, all those guys, Brad, it was just, it was just fun. And uh, then – uh, got the itch to give college football a try again and uh, uh, contacted like two schools, I think, and uh, Dort, Uni- Dort College at the time um, hired me on as a GA, wide receivers, and that's kind of where we are now, you know, GA, now Dort University, 
and really just loving it, loving the coaches up here. Coach Penner, the head coach, is an awesome guy and has really taken this program uh, a long ways, and we hope to continue it. Well, that was, you know, uh, when you were first talking about, you know, getting that itch again, at least when you were talking about it with me, uh, obviously a, a huge leap of faith to, to kind of move the whole family and go uh, be a technically a GA. But uh, as you kind of talked about that, the level your guy, that you guys are at, which was um, really cool when, when we were talking about it and you were telling me kind of uh, about thinking about doing this, um, is that it's not a GA in, in the sense of, uh, maybe like at a at a Tulsa or an OU where uh, you've got certain rules, you can only do certain things, and 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 you know you're basically a helper. Where uh, at Dort, you get to be a, an actual position coach. Yeah. So kind of what our head coach tells us, and what our co- what my coordinator, Coach Mingo, tells me constantly is, you are a full time coach that is compensated differently, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how we look at it here. Is you no, know, we get the opportunity to get great experience. I get to learn under great people, but I also get the opportunity to go out on the road recruiting. I get the opportunity to have my own database full of kids. I get the opportunity to have my own position meeting room. And they really give me a lot of ownership over that. And at this level, I think that's probably the best way to do it because you're not going to have 10 full-time coaches on the headset, you know? Um, so it's been a great experience for me, great learning experience. And a lot of it's because of the, um, ownership they let me take over our position yeah when we were talking about it that was that was one of the coolest things I thought was that you know um, although obviously um, compensated differently you're still a, you still get to go on the road recruiting you learn all of that stuff was it a was it a, a huge difference in in um, uh, coaching going from a high school kid to a college kid or or what was that transition like for you so going from BA to here um, it was, you're still, you're, you're coaching talented kids at both places, right? So the talent level was, you know, I'm used to coaching a high level of talent at wide receiver. Um, the difference between probably, and this may be more of a Dort thing than anything is the kids we recruit have to be super smart, mm-hmm. right? So you have to coach them a little bit differently than you do at a lot of other places because they want details, details, details so much so that you almost have to pull back and give them less detail, you know, or else their brains will start to fry out, you know, and over, over circuitry and things like that. But as far as teaching fundamentals and getting position meeting time and all that, it's very similar to BA because BA is a, you run it like a college at a high school, right? So um, that part was not that different. The type of kid might've been a little different because we can recruit and we recruit really smart kids. Well, I was going to say that that can be, you know, tough. You, you hear some coaches kind of complain about that. Uh, you know, hey, it's tough to get admissions. It's tough to maybe get some great athletes into certain places because of the uh, admissions process and, and the coach wanting, you know, such great academics and great kids to come to your program. But um, the really good teams, uh, you know, use that as an advantage. Uh, you know, the, the Stanford's of, of the world and, and Dort, like you've talked to me about, man, you guys get to use it as an advantage. You get to work with really smart kids that still are really good athletes um, and, and they're good people too. And so, uh, you know, they love football and they're smart and they want to learn even more. And, and so you get to really shape those kids and, and uh, feed that, that knowledge that, that they want to get. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely right. You know, early on you guys had, Seymour on right coach Seymour um, and yeah. he talked about his time at Mines I think and that really resonated with us uh, or at least with myself 
is you have to take the smart kids you have and use it to your advantage, like you're saying, Rowdy. Um, you can do a little more scheme and things like that, um, and they can they can somehow make it work. And they're really good at studying their playbook and retaining information. You know, there's sometimes they'll bring something up from a year ago, something I said, like, Coach, you said this way. I'm like, oh, man, I got to make sure I'm doing everything right with these guys so they remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's fun coaching guys that are like that. And you mentioned love of football. I mean, NAI level, that's, that's the epitome of loving football, right? I mean, there's some talented dudes here, but they love football. And it's just fun to coach guys that are like that. Coach, talk a little bit about being out on the, the road recruiting. I know uh, you, you don't necessarily recruit our area in Iowa, so I got to talk to one of your buddies that had, had come through and, uh, and recruited our school, and he was like, man, Coach, coach Dixon does a great job recruiting. And he said, you know, you, you'd signed a bunch of guys and brought guys in. You know, what, what were some of kind of your early pillars and maybe what do you think are, are some of your strengths in being able to sell a place like, you know, uh, Sioux Center, Iowa, to, to some of the kids? Because I know they got you recruiting in some of the hotbeds down south. Yeah, so recruiting is an, an animal, right? There's just so many kids and everything. But kind of what I rely on are a couple things. What the head coach want me to say, you know, and uh, speak the same language as the entire staff so that when you do get that kid on campus, there's not a surprise. You're only adding to what you've told them already. Um, and then tell the kids the truth. You know, it's Sioux Center, Iowa. It's cold up here. And I recruit Dallas, Texas, and I recruit California. And they need to know that it's cold up here because what we don't want, we're not looking at just to get them admitted, right? Our head coach says he wants to shake their hand on senior day. And so we have to recruit with that in mind. And uh, so tell them the truth. Be on topic with the head coach. And then just work extremely hard. You know, you have to be a bulldog in recruiting, we say, to have any success, um, especially at our level. Um, you have to recruit a bunch of guys, you know, more than the higher you get, the less guys you recruit, right? Because you get a, a little more of your own pick. But at our level, you have to recruit and you have to really get to know the guys and you have to figure out a way how to separate yourself from every other NAI, D2, SDS school um, to even have a chance. So you have to somehow figure out how to build those relationships um quickly and then tell them the truth and see if they're about what you're about you know it's cold here and we're a christian university and we're not just a christian university in name we take it pretty seriously around here and uh that's something that turns some guys off so we have to be very upfront about who we are i've always thought uh ben that that high school coaches uh you know obviously this is a blanket statement but i think high school coaches when they've been in high school can uh, maybe project some more diamonds in the rough than than some of the guys that have only been in college. You know, they you know those college coaches that have only done college and and they get used to you know whatever and maybe they don't get to look back and see oh was I right on some guys was I wrong and and guys go away they miss recruiting and and they maybe don't think about them or they didn't even know about that diamond in the rough. But when you're in high school, you see some of these kids blossom and and you see at what age they blossom at. You know, especially at some of the smaller schools, I think it's, I would assume it's probably pretty important to find those guys that, you know, maybe they didn't, they didn't hit that growth spurt till middle of senior year. Maybe they didn't start figuring out or, or they're uh, looked down upon for, for certain reasons from bigger schools, but they still are great football players. Uh, do you think, and maybe I'm way off, but do you think that being a high school coach uh, has helped you maybe 
um, find some of those kids that wouldn't be as highly recruited and, and uh, you know, be able to project maybe some of their abilities? Yeah, that's a good point. I do think you're pretty spot on with that. Um, Cause you're right. As a high school coach, you see guys develop all the time and you see that kid that all of a sudden he just hits it after his junior year. Right. And, you know, we do a lot of recruiting and prospecting their junior year. But what I do is I go back and I look through during the fall, what seniors went unnoticed. I'll email a bunch of coaches and be like, Hey, who's blossoming this year. Who's making a bigger impact that you may have thought in the spring that you may not have emailed me about. And uh, then I'll go back and rewatch their film and see what's going on. Cause I, I know for a fact that that happened. Um, I think I was one of those kids. And uh, so that's a great point. And then another thing coming from high school, um, what I found helped me is kind of sitting in those coach player recruiting meetings, you know, that happen at the big oval table in the middle of VA's big office, right, Rowdy? You'll hear a college coach come in and they'll be talking to a couple players, right? Right. Through doing that, I kind of was able to develop my own way of talking to kids. Hmm. Um, and you can, I mean, you've sat there and I've heard coaches that you're just like, man, you're not telling the truth. And, <laughs> yeah. or you're just like, <laughs> man, that's not what that, I know a little bit about that place. And that doesn't sound anything like what I've heard, but you know, maybe it's different. And yeah. And then, so I came up here and I was like, I'm going to not be that guy. Now I'm going to go in, I'm going to wear a logo on my shirt. I'm going to be clean cut. And that's mandated by our head coach anyway. Um, but, and then I'm going to just speak truth into these guys and let the chips fall where they may. Well, I think uh, I would assume a lot of that just, just from knowing you is, is um, all those little things that you've thought about uh, you do, you think about all the little things um, uh, as I've told the story, you know, uh, I, you've, you've even sat in and, and uh, bored yourself to death listening to me uh, worry about little things like, uh, you know, drawing up bees on a whiteboard, uh, and, and you would at least sit there and, and entertain me uh, while I was doing stuff like that. But, uh, you know, you look at all those little details, I think just from, from being around you is, is because of, man, just your love of football. I, I mean, it's, it's uh, there's great coaches everywhere, and, and I get that, and, and but – uh, there's just something different in certain coaches and, and uh, you can tell, and, and you were a guy that, you know, when I would go to the, your apartment, um, you know, you were watching football on a, on a, on an Xbox that was showing YouTube on TV and, and on your off time, you were football and, and all of that is, is that, you know, from playing so many sports, do you think that love blossomed into football because that's what you played in college? Or is that something that you've kind of always had because, not every coach in America obviously has that. And I think that uh, something Walls has talked about a bunch is that probably the most important thing, at least in his opinion, and, and now probably mine, in finding a coach is someone that just loves football, eats it up, and, and uh, obviously spends time with their family and is a great family person as well. But um, when it's time to work, man, they just love football, and that's what they're thinking of uh, a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just a great game, right? I mean, uh, I – I really started to fall in love with it under Coach Huebner, uh, our, my head coach when I was playing here at Dort, um, and just learning the X and O's and how the game fits. And that just fits my brain, how the pieces just all fit together and you're blocking gaps and the defense is trying to stop you from blocking those gaps. I mean, that's essentially what it is, right? And, uh, and for some reason, that just clicks in my brain. And then you add on that you get to hang out with a, a bunch of really cool guys and coaches every day, and then you get a 
hang out with a bunch of really cool guys and your players every day. And then you develop those relationships and just all that building on top of each other is just a ton of fun for me. Uh, it's been fun for my family, my wife, and my new daughter came to the office for the first time today. So oh, that's awesome. That, that nice. was exciting. Made me think of little Harpers running around the, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just a fun game and you just get to know so many cool people, right? Like I go out recruiting in California and they, and they're like, they asked me my background. I'm like, yeah, I coached in Oklahoma. And then they asked where and I'm like broken air. And they're like the RTP guys. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That's what the game done for me. You know, I get to know famous people. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> That must have been – it must have been like one of the three high schools out there that listens to it. You, you just got lucky. Yeah, you may be surprised. Well, Coach, man, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, you, you talked about your coach coming in and, and kind of turning around the, the program there at Dorton. And obviously, you have some pride, you know, going to school there and playing there. You know, what what's it like now, you know, being, being in – going through that rough patch or whatever before – and then, you know, having a couple seasons kind of around 500. And then last year, you guys kind of pushed it over the top a little bit. You know, you go seven and three, and, and you guys are kind of knocking on the door of, of the top level there. And, I mean, in Morningside's right there in your guys' league, in Morningside's, you know, the, the national champs. You know, what's it like now that kind of the expectations are a little bit higher and, and maybe now the, the standard for that program has been set a little bit higher? Yeah, it's, it's a little surreal, you know, starting the program – back in the day and keeping track as we go. I mean, one of those games, Rowdy would come over to my apartment and see me watching might've been a Dort college football game on Saturday. And lots of times I weren't going so hot, but um, when coach Penner took over the program, this is, you know, this is nothing against the prior coaches who I, I know both those guys and they're really good football coaches. Um, he came, coach Penner just came in with a unique perspective on things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he just really embraced what Dort is. You know, it's a small Christian school in the middle of Northwest Iowa that's cold. And again, he just told kids the truth and he was bold about it. He came in saying, we're going to be the industry standard of college football at our level. I mean, you can imagine the weird looks that he probably got when he said that taking over two and 19. And, uh, but he's just working extremely hard, um, working extremely hard to recruit the right guys. And he hired great coordinators, you know, Coach Nutt, our defensive coordinator. Um, Coach Domingo, our offensive coordinator, Coach McCormick, special teams coordinator, they all bought into the vision. So everything is just aligned. We all speak the same language. And it's just a lot of hard work and recruiting a lot of great, great kids. Um, I mean, these kids are unbelievable. You, you almost can't understand how unreal these kids are until you come here and experience it. Um, I, there were times this spring I would just – I'd text our guys the night before and I'd say, Hey, your leading position being tomorrow, you're talking about releases against our defense's press, and you're talking about um, mm-hmm. uh, route running. And they'd lead 20 of the 30 minutes of our position meeting, and they're spot on. They'd take the exact same clips I would. I got to where I wouldn't even make them show me the clips beforehand because I knew they were going to be right. And uh, so when you recruit kids like that, things can change pretty quickly. I, that's the thing I, I think so much. I mean, you, you, you – of course, if, if you sit around and you read social media long enough, you know, you're probably going to run into some negative comments, but yeah, I mean, just, and, and going, you know, you go into high schools and, and recruiting and I've been to God knows how many high schools too. It's, you, you hear so many of the complaining, the complaints and the negative things about kids and he, he doesn't go to class and he doesn't do that. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, 
man, every time I go to my position room or I, you know, I go to Dort or you go to, to wherever it is, it's like, I run into some of the coolest young men that, that I've ever seen. And they're, they're phenomenal. They're smart, they're respectful, and they're going to go off and, and do great things. And it's like, you know, wh what's different between the, the people that are complaining about this. And then when I turn around and, and, and see the, these kids, it, it's just, it bothers me almost. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, obviously some of that's on the coach, right? I mean, hold, hold your kids accountable and you set your culture and, you know, like Rowdy, you, you have the standard, right? The O-line standard at BA. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and so we call it being industry standard. And that's what our program is built on, being the industry standard. And, you know, if someone's slacking off in class, is that being the industry standard? And the obvious answer is no. And our kids have really just bought into that because we talk about it all the time and we stay on message. And that's the Coach Penner thing. You know, he has the pillars of our program written up on his whiteboard to be the industry standard of college football at our level. And then it's honor God, build men, compete fiercely, and have kingdom impact. And those five things, the four pillars in the mission statement, aren't changing. And we may go about teaching them a different way, but they aren't going to change. And our kids just really buy into that because Coach Penner you know, has a, created a culture to where they come in, they see how unique it is and how special it is, and we tell them about it in recruiting. And it just creates a great team and a great unity and great atmosphere. Ben, when you started going, I, I want to get back to those meetings because I think that's a, an unbelievable idea. Because um, I, I don't remember, obviously, I never watched you run meetings at, at Broken Arrow, but I don't, I don't remember that at Broken Arrow. What, what caused you to, to kind of go to that? I think it's an awesome idea. How did you facilitate that when you first started it? Um, and, and do you think that that's something that would be doable at the high school level? Or, or is that something that, um, that – you know, maybe just certain kids or, or maybe it is just a college level thing because that would be an awesome way because, and I don't know, uh, Walls probably knows the, the science behind it more than I do, but I've always heard that, hey, if you can, and I think from personal experience, if you can teach it, um, you learn it so much better. Right. And it's more powerful when the kid says it, right? That's um, right. They can, they can drown my voice out pretty quick, I think. But yeah, so we really pushed this spring. This is Coach Penner deal. Um, he felt that the team was growing, you know, five and five, five and five, seven and three, top 25 in the country. What, what's next, right? Because a lot of people, you know, can start patting you on the back. You're like, oh, you're a top 25 program. Well, how are we going to get better? And he wanted a player-led team. And so he challenged us as his position coaches and coordinators, make yourself uncomfortable, give players ownership, be smart about it, but they're going to fail at times but it's going to help us in the long run. It's going to be what we call a net win. And so what we did is, and, you know, we're big on extreme ownership here too. And I know you guys are. Um, we gave our players extreme ownership. So we made head coaches of our positions and of our side of the ball. So I had a head coach of route running. I think it was technically route separation. I had a head coach of fit and finish on our perimeter blocking. And I had a head coach of drill work. And, he, and I told them that if we don't get better at this, it's not m only my fault, it's your fault hmm. if we don't get better at that this spring. And, th and you'd, you'd be amazed at how they just took it and ran with it. You know, I had, they came up to me fighting for drill time, and I had to go to the coordinators <laughs> and fight for more drill time. And, and, uh, and, but that's what we told them to do, right? Our perimeter blocking guy was like, Coach, we need more half-line. We're not getting enough. <laughs> 
I'm like, all right, man. Yeah, this is the coolest wide receiver room ever. We're talking about getting more half-line perimeter blocking <laughs> stuff. But, uh, but then my route separation guys come up saying, Coach, need more one-on-one. And we need to work on uh, press release against an outside leverage corner when we run, want to run these type of routes. We need to see that in Indy today. I'm like, all right, man. So it got a little stressful at times because they're just asking me for stuff. But it was so much fun. And then just, you know, let them run position meetings at times. You know, obviously we'll install. But if it was a returner, you know, I know our quarterbacks, they talked over a lot of our triple option stuff. And uh, we had a quarterback that was in charge of ball security. We had a quarterback that was in charge of how fast our tempo was. And if our tempo was slow, it was his fault. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just gives the guys ownership. At the high school level, I think you can do it to a certain extent. But what Coach Penner said is he, he couldn't have done this maybe year one with the entire team because it's like – you just got your infant, right? You just, you just brought him into this world. So you need to raise him up a little bit and give him more and more each year hmm. where now he felt like they had the responsibility to be able to do that. And so at high school, I think he'd come down to specific kids. Like, you know, your center last year, Rowdy, he could have done it. Right, no doubt. And, uh, and he probably did. <laughs> you know? yeah. And uh, um, your big tackle, he could probably do it as well. And uh, but your little freshman, he doesn't need to be doing that, hmm. you know. So that's that's my two cents with the player-led meetings. But it's a good idea if you can get to a spot where you're doing it. I encourage you to do it. You'll be surprised at how successful it is. I love that, man. It's it's super powerful too. Any any way you can get the, those guys involved, like I mean, you, something as simple as this that I I started doing and it just kind of dawned on me. And I'm like, man, how how about I, I do this so they feel like they're helping plan practice. Just like you're saying, you, you created head coaches for the different skills that receivers need to be able to do. I, I would just go ask guys in the weight room in the morning and it's like, Hey, we're setting up Indy. What are, what are some things you think we were not very good at? Or what are some things? And some of those seniors like instantly had just great feedback. Like co- coach, you know, our team, you know, you said it before teams play a lot of outside press against us. We need to work a little bit against outside press. Today. All right, cool. What drill do you want to do? Uh, can we work this, this, and this? Yep. All right. Got it. You know, and then you go ask another guy and say, hey, we're, we're struggling. I play in the slot coach and, and I see a lot of our younger guys are struggling with secondary releases on wall linebackers. We work on those. Absolutely. Let's work on those. You want to take that group? Yeah, I'll take that group. So, I mean, I think it's, it, it's so cool. And the kids feel again, you know, and I started doing it in my classroom, you know, having them, having them track their own progress rather than me just giving them assignments every day. It's like, Hey, where do you think you're at? You know, scale of one to four. I'm a two. All right, you got a ways to go. Coach, I'm a four. <laughs> and if they say they're a four, I'm like, well, why do you, how do you know you're a four? He's like, I could teach you how to do this whole thing. So, I mean, those conversations where you're able to go back and forth like that, and it's, it's all of a sudden a partnership, and it's not really like, you know, I'm the dictator and leader, and you guys are all minions underneath me. It's like, no, this is a true meaning of we. It's all, all of us in there together. And it's like, dude, you're, you're just sitting there managing, but your kids – are more invested your kids are are learning more and they're probably having more fun yeah i mean that's absolutely right um and then you know you kind of mentioned how it translates to the classroom Mm -hmm. what a lot of high school coaches i see making mistakes are they don't pay attention in their teacher professional development meeting you know you're learning how to teach that's right (laughs) football is teaching and if you can't teach then you're not going to be very good (laughs) and uh so that's, that's my little soapbox for the minute is, guys, just pay attention in teacher meetings. 
it's not that difficult. <laughs> you were, uh, that was the best part about coach Dixon is, is, uh, and it was more kind of how I was raised a little bit too. Uh, maybe not as, as well as coach Dixon, but it was like, Hey, if this is the right thing to do, let's just do the right thing. There wasn't a whole lot of thinking about how do we get around it? How do we, it was just like, Hey, this is what we're doing. Let's get the most out of it. So it's good to hear that again, coach Dixon. Hey, I wanted to kind of talk about, and, and maybe I'm way off and just tell me I'm way wrong, but uh, last kind of thing I remember us talking receiver receiver wise, and I know almost none of nothing about it. You were talking about uh, while you were at Broken Arrow, still kind of having different names, or maybe even it was different numbers for for certain releases, um, and and working certain releases off of numbers or off yeah. of names. Uh, if that is the case, and, and you know my brain, it doesn't always work the best. But if that is the case. Can talk talk me through that uh, a little bit more, or or kind of what you do with some of those different releases because. Uh, as you know, as I've always thought about receivers when I was a player, um, they just go and run and catch the ball. But obviously, uh, as I've learned from you and now Coach Walls, there's, there's a lot more to that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we're running and catching the ball. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's, that's a pretty good thing. Um, no, so I work in a progression, um, and it's really simple. And a lot of, I've noticed a lot of guys are starting to use it. Um, but we are a speed release, a one-step release, a two-step. And then we're foot fire one, foot fire two, mm -hmm. fire speed. And that's our basics. So, you know, a speed release is you just go. You're gone. You can either beat the guy that's pressing you because you're just that much better than him. You're keeping your shoulders low. You're going to work from low to lower in your route. And you can just be in with speed. Your one step is just a one single jab away from where you want to go. Then you go where you want. And then two step is jab where you want to go first, then jab the other way and then shave the shoulder and get up field going back where you want. And then you add in a foot fire for a little softer press. And then, you know, there's some other things like so I have a receiver that he just really likes to tempo or skip off the line, or I see some guys call it a hesitation off the line. And if that's what he's comfortable with, I'm not going to stop him from doing that. But our base uh, releases against press are, we just call it a one, two, foot fire one, foot fire two, or speed. And uh, it's just quick and it's fast. And now you can combine all those things. So really, I just teach foot fire. I teach a one, I teach a two. And then I say, hey, now combine it and see what works for you. And that's how we work on releases a lot. And a lot of times now is our guys will partner up and they'll just work releases for five minutes. Different styles of releases. If, if it's a game plan week, then we'll work a specific one that I know we're going to see. Hmm. Um, if it's in the spring, I let them choose. Uh, which release do you need to get better at? And then the slots, they do one other little drill to avoid that second level wall defender. But the basics, I mean, if you can do a foot fire and then a one, a two, and a speed, you can probably make it through a whole season. Because um, again, the best way to get off press, and Brady, you can probably test this, is just be really fast. Yep. If you can be really fast and play really low, you're going to have a really good shot. But those tools can help you out. Yeah. And it's, and I think, and again, and you're, you're, you're saying it, you know, the, you, you introduce it and there's a progression and then literally it's like, it's, it's like chaos practice because they're yeah. going to have to again, go out and, and fail at it and find out what works for them and find out what does not work for them. What am I really good at? What am I not good at? And, and then me as a coach, it's not like I can't again, you know, have my cookie cutter example of here's what the, the foot fire one looks like. Yeah, you know, some of those guys, it's going to be, you know, whatever, like you're talking with the, with the skip, uh, you know, I got receivers that are five, nine, I've got receivers that are six, four, 
you know, yep. so I'm teaching them different things with their hands. Like, you know, you're shorter, you are probably going to be able to get lower and, and maybe rip through a dude's hip. Whereas you're six, four, you're never going to rip yep. <laughs> you know, unless you play a, a corner that's six, five and you'll probably be able to anyway. But I'm like, I, I think so much of that, like you said, is, is then they can't be thinking about it. Because you're saying they have to be really, really fast. It's like, okay, I've taught the progression. Now, literally, my coaching point just becomes, dude, you got to do that faster. All right, do it now, do it faster. Hey, pretty good, now do it faster. And people are like, are you really coaching them? I'm like, yeah. Yep. You know, but I don't want him thinking because the instant he's sitting there and he's thinking, we're never going to throw him the ball anyway. Yep. You so, know, no doubt. I mean, be fast, be sudden, and do what works, right? I mean, exactly. that, that's how to get off press. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel you on the height differences. I got five, nine receivers. I got like three, six, six receivers. So they, they go off and work on their own. And our little undersized guys are basically, if you're six one and over, go to this line. And if you're under six one, you go to this line. And uh, we figured it out from there. But then hands, you know, you mentioned hands. Mm-hmm. Super important. We usually try to save a little practice time. We do hands to open up meetings sometimes. Yep. So we'll just stand up and get our brains firing, especially those early morning August meetings. And we'll just hand fight. We look like a bunch of D linemen. Um, D linemen would be mad if they heard me say that. But, uh, <laughs> we don't like them anyways. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. So we, we hand fight in meetings and that not only wakes us up, but it saves us four minutes in practice to where we're just standing there hand fighting. You know, if we can do a drill in the meeting room, why not do it in the meeting room and save a little time? That's a great idea. I, I love the hand fight stuff too. I mean, that becomes part of our zero period. You know, there's no, nothing worse to me is like zero period with receivers that are just like playing catch with QBs. Yeah. I like literally go over there and kick those guys in the butt when they're just playing catch with the QB, like get over here, let's go. <laughs> no, we want to try to do something productive in zero period, but that, I think that's a great idea. I just wrote that one down hand fighting in meetings. Boom. There we go. Wake them up. Hell, I might start doing it uh, tomorrow before they go lift weights. Oh, there you go. There you go. I feel sorry for those kids now. <laughs> ben, I didn't. I I either didn't know or didn't remember. But yeah, you said you started as a DB coach. Uh, obviously, do you think that has helped you out a little bit coaching receivers and being an offensive coordinator when you were in high school? Uh, when you were coaching high school, you were uh, you know obviously an offensive coordinator and then uh, receivers coach. Now, do you think you know kind of cutting your teeth as a coach in high school as a DB coach? Do you think that's helped you? Uh, maybe understand uh, where the defense is coming from as you coach or as you game plan? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so it was just just one year. I had some really good DBs, and uh, I've never – coaching defense is hard, man. (laughs) I wouldn't say I would never do it again, but, man, it's like borderline impossible sometimes. But, no, you really – that's where I started to understand fit. Right, because when I was coaching safeties, we had to understand where everyone else was fitting in front of us, and understanding what leverage means from the corners and safeties, um, how guy, how people disguise stuff. Um, that one year of coaching DBs was pretty big for me. Um, how to, like, how to get how DBs get off balance. You know, I saw our guys get off balance, and I started to learn like what moves and what different route combos gave our coverages trouble. You know, we run a lot of palms back then, and that is where I really started to develop a lot of my palm plans for the next three years was when I was coaching DBs. You know, how do you beat palm? 
and the quarter stuff and um, how do you run your routes against cover three when they're rolling to the corner when they're spinning a safety down? What's the difference? How do you handle it? And so, yeah, that, that one year was pretty big for my development. And then, like you said, then you go over, you know, the next year to be uh, either, I think you said co-OC, uh, but yep. that's, that's a very quick um, transition to being an offensive coordinator is, is after, you know, you're into your second season as a coach at all. You're a 6A uh, offensive coordinator. Was that, was that a, uh, a nervous switch over for you? Were, you? were you pretty confident in that? I'm assuming you weren't super confident because you hadn't done it yet. Um, but what was, the, what was your thoughts on, on making that switch and then going to be a, a coordinator at such a young age in your coaching age? Uh, nervous, excited, but I had whatever lack of confidence I felt in myself, I had confidence in the other coaches around me. That had done it, you know. I had an O-line coach who had strong convictions, which is really what I want from an O-line coach, right? If you have an O-line coach that doesn't have strong convictions, you're probably gonna have problems if you're an ex-quarterback or wide receiver guy, hmm. um, because they need to fight for their guys. Because you're gonna want to install too much at some point. You're gonna want to put in too much, <laughs> and uh, and it's a lot easier to change to not install than try to get five guys on the same page. So I learned that very quickly. Um, but then my head coach, Coach Allen is still to this day and he'd laugh if i if you heard me say this because i told him it not that long ago he's still one of the best x and o board guys i've met and uh and learning under him was great coach McHenry was my co-oc with me he was more the run game guy, was more the pass game guy and i would technically call on fridays but he would sit next to me and he'd draw up every front during the game and we'd find the bubbles we'd find the three techniques and he would just constantly do that and he and he'd be like hey getting 20 personnel and run it towards our twins because they're setting the shade to that side every time and run whatever at it, you know? And uh, so that was a big help. It was a real big group effort. Again, we did some cool stuff, probably too much in the past for sure. Um, but that's because that's what I knew. Right. And mm -hmm. so in the run, we were inside zone power outside zone and counter. I think that's all we ran and that was plenty. And but it was fun. Uh, like I said earlier, I wish I could go back and take my knowledge now that I've learned four years later and give it back to those kids. Because um, I worked my tail off, but you know I just did, didn't know as much as I do now. Sure. And uh, but they're good kids. That was a fun four years for me, and I met my wife there, so that that was a plus. And, and she uh, and she's the best of the Dixons, so. Oh, by far. Uh, of the two of you, she's definitely the best. Well, now the three of you, she may not be the best anymore, but. Yeah, I don't know. All, all I know is she's being a real trooper right now. So <laughs> I think our little girl's 11 years, 11 days old. So there's, there's a lot of figuring out to do. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, then, but, but like I said, you know, or not like I said, but you've been through uh, a bunch of, even in your, your years coaching, you've been in, you've been through you know, probably three fairly different uh, offenses as a coach, you know, uh, running it in Ponca City and then a little bit heavier personnel, uh, you know, with Jay here at Broken Arrow. And then, um, like you said, even running some triple, I, I believe, out of the gun uh, at Dort. And so uh, as a coach, I'm assuming that's got to, as an offensive guy, grow what you know and what you like and, and piece together things so much better for you. Yeah, I'm starting to feel like I'm becoming a jack of all trades. It's a little frustrating because I sit down, I figure out 
man, if I were to call it again, what would I run? And I'm like, man, I really love this at Ponca City. I said I'd run that forever. Man, I really love what we did at Broken Arrow. That 22 personnel really grew on me. And, uh, and then here up at Dort, I'm like, man, the gun triple is the way to go. It's so hard to defend. <laughs> and now I'm just like, I can't do it all. Yeah, that's so right. It's uh, you wish you could. You can't just pick and choose, but uh, it gives me a lot of knowledge, and I feel like I can help out wherever I end up next. You know, being a GA, that's part of it. Um, I feel like I have a broad range of experiences to uh, add value to any staff, and uh, it's it's been fun learning a bunch of football and seeing a bunch of different defenses because each one of those systems got gets defended a lot differently. Mm-hmm. Coach with the gun triple on the on the perimeter, it's I think a lot of people forget, you know, how important it is to be able to one block on the perimeter, but then also, you know, be able to count and make sure you're blocking the correct people as well. Can you talk a little bit about some of the rules maybe you have? Because I, I know when I, when I had to, to, to coach with that, especially, you know, some of the, the 20 personnel gun triple we ran and then going down to New Mexico and looking at some of their inside zone triple, you, you had to spend a lot of time with the receivers being able to understand, you know, fronts, counting people who are optioning, who's the pitch dude. And then who we got to block. Yeah, so I guess what a lot of people would resonate with is saying Dort is similar to what New Mexico used to be. We're a little different, especially in the past game. But on the perimeter, you know, we don't – this may be a little weird, but we don't teach them to count a whole lot. Um, they need to know the corners. They need to know who the safety player is. And if that safety walks down and gives us a double force, that, that kind of changes who we block. But Narayan's going to laugh at me because he tried to get me to do this for years. We give tags for our perimeter blocking schemes. Yeah. Ejecting <laughs> queen. I tried to. Yeah. Very, very similar to that. And, uh, and so our OC essentially handles it completely with a play call. And I think we've been wrong maybe once. Nice. And, it, so, and that's because he's been coaching it for so long. And going against option teams, a lot of times you see their one or two looks early, and that's all you're going to get. Um, because to prepare for the triples out of the gun, especially when you have the ability to throw, you can't do a ton on defense against it. Mm-mm. And so we, ROC calls it. Now there have been times where we'll be on the sideline and we'll call it and he'll say, Ben, switch it to such and such. And I'll be like, where maybe we need to go block both safeties and leave the corner or whatnot. And I'll just yell it from the sideline or I'll yell one guy and signal it in and they'll just bounce it across and we're all on the same page. And uh, so yes, Rowdy, I am on the tagging perimeter <laughs> right now. I, I well, from Brady, right? To that's be right. fair, yes, I got it from Brady, and I I didn't have any good reason for it other than that's what Walls did, and it kind of made sense to me. So um, I, I wouldn't say I was uh, very smart about why I wanted to do it. Uh, it just was like I knew you could yell it out. So Walls, uh, where'd you kind of? I, I assume I stole that from you because I heard you saying it. Um, it yeah. How'd you kind of roll into using that in? And was it for that reason so you could kind of yell that out and, and you know, kind of teach those guys where to go without having to give them a dissertation while they're out on the field? Yeah, uh, the, those actual terms were Coach Maddox at Jinx and, and Greg Calabrese. So we, we used those, King, King, Queen, Jack, and Crown, if we were ever uh, cracking on a defensive end. I don't think that happened very often, maybe on some of the, the toss plays out of, like, uh, of Poke or Bunch. Right, but but just having those just to to remind a guy really quick, like you said, Ben, if you're on the sideline 
and a kid forgot, or you wanted to make an adjustment to it, like, hey, hey, uh, queen this, queen this. You know, it just made it real easy for him to know instantly what it was instead of me yelling at him, hey, go block the safety. You know, it just it was just kind of code words and, and made it a lot faster. Um, when I was actually at Augustana, we'd used, we'd used a numbering system, and it was the same way. So we just count from the sideline. Corner was number one. Uh, the apex backer was number two, and the safety was number three. So generally, those three were the guys we we're going to have to block at some point. So we just number it off. So if you had a slot receiver, or you had two receivers in a slot formation, you just you just yell at a number. You'd say thirteen. First guy would block the f- number one, and the, se- the second guy would go block the safety. It means we would be leaving the apex guy. So there's a couple of different ways you do it, but it made it so easy because you just be able to yell it out there, hey, 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 check thirteen, thirteen, this thirteen. Then they'd know what to do. Yeah, yeah, and that makes sense because you guys were triple doggy, right, back then. We were, yes. Yeah, so that makes sense. And, uh, yeah, the perimeter blocking and the triple, you know, if you can't run true triple option, all the RPOs, the counter triple, none of it works. So yeah. we spend five minutes every day, like it's maybe 10 some, a lot of days, on just perimeter blocking, mm-hmm. um, working our fits, working our finish, um, making sure our angles are right because it's a big deal in the triple. If you can't run triple, you're dead in the water. Yeah, and that's the other thing. You're talking like, you know, where do I have to leverage the guy? If I'm blocking the corner, I'd love to be able to sit on his outside shoulder and all of a sudden we pitch the thing and it goes down the sideline and it's a 60-yard gain. So, I mean, we'd have to practice that stuff all the time. You know, we were a wide split and they wanted to play inside leverage, perfect. Let's see if we can bait him to, to sit inside and then pin him. I mean, there, there's a ton of, of coaching and the teams that are really, really good in the triple. And everyone's like, oh, you know, you can run the triple, but if you're going to be explosive in the triple, you better have receivers that know what the hell they're doing. Absolutely. It's imperative. I mean, the off, the offense doesn't go unless you can give the ball and get four to six when you give it. And if you can't run triple and get the ball to the perimeter, you're, you're stuck. And then I'm interested too, because I mean, I, I said the same thing when I was at New Mexico and, and you know, they, they were running the ball as, as well as anyone in the country when I was down there uh, visiting, but, you know, probably had some work to do in the past game to be politically correct. Yeah, I'm guessing. I'm guessing that you guys throw the ball more proficiently. So I, I, I was saying, if you could have a QB that could sling it a little bit, or you had, you know, one or two receivers that could go win against man or win against you know one on one zone cover. You most of the time you're seeing zone if you're running the triple. If they're running man, they're gonna get killed. Yeah. But uh, uh, if you had dudes that could win, what what are some things you're doing maybe then in the pass game to kind of complement that? And again. Don't have to give away all the secrets, but you know what? What are some things you guys like that? Hey, man, th- this this really this really kind of takes our offense to the next level because we're forcing people to to play in conflict a little bit. Right. So, uh, let me start here. The quarterback in the past game, you really have to limit what he does in the past game because how many decisions does that dude have to make a game? Right. Oh, dear, especially, yeah. especially in the triple. Right, that like almost every play, there's like three decisions if you're just running the ball. Yeah, and uh, so we're big on a lot of decisions in the run, easy decisions in the pass. So a lot of times we will just have two man type concepts. Now they can come from anywhere. Um, they maybe come from the other side of the field. They may be just the two twins on the same side. May run just a fly and a ten yard out. And a lot of times, like it's very rare we don't play action. I'm not even sure we have a drawback that isn't a play action of some sort and we'll zone read and then our RPO turns into you know a deep 10 yard out and a fly route and if that force defender comes up and takes us he's just throwing the 10 yard out behind him 
And that's what's turned into our pass game a lot is it's just triple option, but pushing the ball down the field. And the thought process is who are they adding to triple to gain the number back, right? If they're adding some safety from either front side or backside, how are we going to hit that grass in the pass game off of the same look? Whether that's out of heavy action downhill into a three-step drop, or whether that's a bootleg or whether that's true zone read coming out and throwing the ball, how are we going to hit the grass? And how are we going to do it to where it's not very many um, progressions for the quarterbacks, where he's almost a one, two, and he's gone running, you know, because there's just so many um, options that quarterback has to make every play that if you overload them, you're going to see negative returns in both the run and the pass. So we want to be explosive in the pass and take advantage of grass and then just have him make tons of decisions in the run. See, I think that's a, a huge coaching point, and I think there's probably some coaches out there that, that don't take that into consideration. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're running zone read, if you're running, you know, power read, if you're running the triple, if you're running all these different plays where the quarterback has to, hey, man, we're just going to read somebody. You're going to read somebody. That puts a lot of pressure on the QB. Yeah. You know, and every single play, you know, maybe he has to check something and, and has to, you know, read a guy. They, they keep moving. They 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 bring all these different looks, whatever it might be. You know, we, we ran into that a couple of times here, but making sure you, you always have plays in the playbook, like you said, where it's, it's a design handoff. Absolutely. Or it's going to be, you know, an easy naked bootleg. Dude, get out and run, and there's going to be two guys in front of you to, to throw it to. So I think that has to be – and you played quarterback. I mean, you, I, I can imagine it be the same thing. It's like, man, there's, there's times I just want to have, like – you know, some time to just be able to, boom, I, can I just hand this thing off and recollect myself or, you know, not have to worry about all these different checks and, and think. Absolutely, man. It, it's just so important that you realize how many decisions kids have to make and, and take care of them, you know. If you're really, truly about putting kids for the best chance of success, then you have to think about those things. And, you know, our, our quarterbacks, they make so many decisions in games. You should see how many decisions they make in meetings and practice. I mean. It's unreal. In meetings, they're standing up watching film. They're doing zone reads throughout an entire meeting and just working through all that. And you might see three different guys stand up, and they may do three different things because one guy threw a fade pre-snap look, and one guy pulled it, and one guy gave it. You know, and, and you have to not overcoach it because you're trusting to make those decisions on the field, but you have to you know, help them, ask them why they did it and just help them make as many decisions during the week before they get to Saturday as they can. Ben, when you were at Ponca City, I think you guys had a, uh, at one point, a, a more of a running quarterback. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Connell okay, so, 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 I want, so what are some things, because I think there's a lot of high school, especially in high school, you know, obviously in college, as you know, you can recruit more of the guys that, that you're looking for to fit your offense. And, and there's a lot of high schools, uh, you know, we fell into it a little bit at, at times last year even. Um, yep. where you're going to put a really great athlete back there at quarterback and, and you're going to find your best athlete at your school and, and he can throw a little bit, but, but you were going to put him at quarterback so he touched the ball all the time. What were some of the uh, runs that, that you ended up really liking while you're at Ponca City that you could do with a, a running type of quarterback? Man, we ran the mess out of just quarterback outside zone to the boundary out of 20 personnel or hmm. uh, 10 personnel trips and that tailback would go lead for him into the boundary if they'd overload our trip side. Um, and if they wouldn't overload the trip side, we'd just throw like snags and uh, spots over there to death. And hopefully it worked out. Um, and then from there, we ran a lot of power read, 
I like a lot. And then that was actually rowdy when I first really started to understand that power could hit backside a gap. Was from power read. It was from power read. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't happen a whole lot, but our quarterback that year got so comfortable with it because we ran it so much. I probably repped it eight times a day in team and practice Hmm. is he would just come downhill and all of a sudden about game six, his senior year, he's bouncing it backside A and getting 30 and it won a game for us. I was like, Oh yeah, that linebacker is flopping over the top, isn't he? And he said he saw it. So that's what he did. And, uh, but we ran a lot of that. And then we ran a lot of counter, uh, counter stretch, uh, bash type stuff. We're running GT counter, Maybe the pullers are going left, and we have the stretch action going right, and we're reading the defensive end or the overhang of the end man line scrimmage, and the quarterback's making decisions. He's either handing off or outside zone, which is what the perimeter is blocking, or he's going to keep it, and he's going to run GT counter with the offensive line. And what ended up happening is the teams with really good linebackers, um, that screwed with them the most because uh, their triangles messed up, right? And if they're just reading guards, they weren't going to get to the outside zone portion of the play. If they're reading the triangle, now they're seeing back flow, heavy flat away from them, and linemen crossing their face going the other way, and the quarterback's coming right downhill and uh, got them to free. So we, got, we had some pretty good success off that play as well. Were you guys running any RPOs with, with that as well, or did that come at, at, with different guys? I mean, are you going to – would you ever run an RPO with also, you know, a power read or a, a counter stretch read or, or is an RPO for you going to be more of a, uh, a, a very set handoff or throw the ball? Yeah. Back then we weren't doing um, reading the end with a pass involved. Cause I wasn't sure again, going back to decisions that our quarterback was going to be efficient doing that. Um, what we did when we RPO'd back then is we were, you know, that's kind of the earlier days of RPOs when we started hitting high school. Right. Um, we we're, were just running a bunch of zone lock, locking the backside tackle, um, reading the backside inside linebacker, and we were throwing snags and sticks behind them. That's when we really started getting into it. And then I think maybe my last year we started maybe throwing some slants behind the backside inside linebacker's helmet off of our power stuff and we get offset and run power and quarterback size would be on the backside linebacker. And if he flopped over the top, we'd throw it behind him and uh, stuff like that. But it was mostly either a handoff or throw. You see some teams now that run some pretty cool front side RPOs with the power read, you know, when they you yep. start to, to add the, you know, dog linebacker apex backer on the, on the front side and they're just throwing a little stop route outside on, on the front side and rather than reading any of the backside dudes. I like that stuff too. Yeah, that's fun because, you know, you start getting so much flow down to it, and you can almost nowadays push it a little deeper if you can trust your quarterback to get the ball off because that safety might be adding super fast, and you just throw it right behind his face. So, but that's some good stuff. I'm starting to see that as well. Coach Dixon tried to talk me into RPOs the whole time he was there. I used to be adamant, adamantly against those in most read plays, but Coach Dixon, uh, you've uh-huh. You've, you've worn on me a little bit, and now I'm not adamantly against, the, against them. I'm just kind of eh on them. Uh, I'm going to say adamantly might not have been a strong enough word. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure I got called stupid multiple times. <laughs> no, I don't think I ever <laughs> said stupid. And I just stayed strong, you know, stayed on my side of the meeting room and stayed on my board and drew up my pass plays with a line as the offensive lineman. <laughs> I know. I had to call you killing, out on Twitter. Killing me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> No, that's that's good stuff. 
<laughs> and no, well, that's, I mean, those were some of the most fun times, uh, you know, having another assistant that did love football so much. I, like I said, we would do that. Um, I was always uh, berating Ben, trying to get us to get our receivers closer uh, to the ball. <laughs> I thought they were too wide or, or maybe even get some receivers out of the game. But, uh, it, but the fun I think part, that's what it was. That's right. <laughs> trying to get me out of a job. Like, come on, Ben, either squeeze him in and go get the safety or let's throw off of him. But, uh, uh, um, but you know, having fun and, and, like I said, even drawing different uh, – me drawing different bees because I got made fun of one time so I could have better bees. Or, um, you know, when we were first learning the new formations, I'd have been, you know, quiz me on formations. But uh, it was always fun being able to find somebody else on the staff that, that cares and loves it that much that – uh, you can kind of quiz back and forth, and it, it meant a lot. And then, uh, you know, would would talk me through the past game stuff, even though, uh, you know, I didn't remember it very well. It didn't click for me as well as the run game stuff because it, it just makes being up there so much more fun when you can be around other guys that like it that much. And and I learned, uh, just like when Walls was there, same same with Coach Dixon, man. I just – I learned so much from guys like that that are willing to – spend some time to stay up at the at the office and that really enjoy it and will um, appease me and, and listen to me be stupid for a while. Well, you appease me too because I hit you up with a dozen run questions for every pass game question you had for me. And uh, so, no, those, those are some good times. Uh, I miss those times sometimes, but it was good. Now I just feel like I have to – I don't know how to schedule a phone call with you now. You're always recording podcasts or <laughs> – <laughs> winning state championships or <laughs> what, what, what's the craziest part because I know you you know I know you haven't won one yet and I don't want to say it's because you left that we won one but what I did find <laughs> out <laughs> what I did find out is is when you have really really good players it makes it a lot easier to uh, win state championships yeah it no doubt and I think I, I think I told you I knew when I was leaving what I was giving up <laughs> and it's and it's still it, it doesn't hurt because I was so happy for you guys because that community deserved a championship so right. bad. And Coach A deserved a championship. I think we, all three of us can agree with that. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, I was just so happy for you guys. And, yeah, may, maybe it was because I left. I'm sure there's people that think that. No, you. nobody thinks that. It, it was – it's really crazy, though, until you – threw the ball five times a game. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we yeah. finally got him in close enough to block safety. Yeah, no, I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, uh, what, what really was cool about – honestly, about winning one, because, uh, like I said, I had never done it as a, as a player or as a coach or as an anything, um, is, is truly when you do get players that – in most of the games and not being like a cocky thing because there's nothing about me. But when you truly do have uh, players that are probably better than the players they're playing against, um, as long as almost you don't screw them up, that's a big, big part of, um, of winning state championships is having really good football players. And as much as I think probably a lot of coaches hate to say that, um, it, it's definitely true. When you got really, really good football players uh, and injuries don't work against you, uh, that those are probably when you win a lot of state championships. And I know I kind of bring that up, Coach Dixon, just to say, you know, you've kind of been on some teams, obviously, at, at Ponca City and nothing against them, but they've had some not as good seasons when, when you were, you know, for a while. Uh, but you could still see progress and, and maybe 
state championship wasn't even at the time your goal, but there's a lot of high school coaches probably out there that are saying, Hey, we're, we're pretty, pretty un you know, we're undermatched. We're not going to have the best players. What were maybe some of your goals going into some of those seasons uh, where you didn't have the best players, but obviously as a coach, you're working to get better. You're working to um, uh, progress your, your offense. Yeah. I mean, the easiest answer and probably the most cliche is let's just get better every day. Right. And I don't, and that's hard to quantify. And so how do you quantify getting better every day? And uh, for us, for me, a lot of times it was, you know, are we, what kind of assignments are we missing? You know, at Ponca city, our third year as a staff, we weren't missing any assignments by that last year. And we went from averaging, Jesus, going to make me sound bad. Seven points a game year one when I was calling it. And, but it was cool because we played, I think we started nine sophomores on offense that year. Hmm. And so when they were seniors, we were averaging over 30 points a game. And so that was how we kind of quantified it there. And it wasn't necessarily just wins because, you know, you can't, you don't know what everyone else has got going, right? You know, yeah. You could be getting better and better and better. And we were at Ponca, but so could everyone else. And so it's, it's really hard to judge based solely on wins. You know, what I saw us as a staff there and at every stop I've been at is, are they competing for harder and longer every game? You know, are they figuring out how to, how to be a winner, even if the scoreboard doesn't reflect it? You know, and uh, I'm not sure that's a great answer for you, but, you know, how long can you compete? Um, are you executing? You know, sometimes you're just literally overmatched. You know, I remember I was calling plays against Union High School that first year, and I was like, man, we're going to compete our brains out. I'm not really going to call the dogs off, but, you know, they're better than us. Right. In that game, it was trying to find the small victories, right? And, uh, and we found some in that game, but it was, it was difficult at times, but it was fun. I've been there, man. There's been some games where it's like, why did I make this call sheet? Because <laughs> it ain't going to matter. <laughs> I can throw darts at this sucker, and it doesn't matter which one I throw it at, man. You'd yeah. even have times where you'd have, like, the perfect trick play. Like, hey, man, I'm opening the game with this trick play. It's going to be wide open, and we'd overthrow it by two yards, you know? <laughs> yeah, Just, but you kept making the call sheet because you love the kids and you love the game. That's exactly right. And like you said, man, the, the, that stuff pays off, and, and you know, your guys – you always leave it a little bit better than, than when you left it. I know I, I felt the same way, you know, Dixon, knowing that the best years for BA were coming. And, and it's hard to, to, to walk away, but at the same time, you have a little bit of pride because you're like, man, you know what? Uh, had, a, had a small piece in helping lay the foundation for some of that stuff, and, and to be able to see him pull it off was pretty damn cool. Yeah, and that, and that just senior group was pretty special, right? Because they came in, they were freshmen year last year at BA, right, Brady? Yes, sir. And they were sophomores, so we both saw them real early, and we got to see them grow throughout the years. You know, that's just a big tribute to that staff and Coach Alexander of staying the course. And, no, I mean, I mean, we all knew they were going to win one. That's right. You know, with that class coming up. And uh, that's a big – I mean, that's the community there, the Booster Club, Coach Ellett, you know, and the strength. You know, that's probably the biggest uh, thing about winning high school football is your strength program the best and if it is you're gonna have a really good shot that's exactly right I, I I couldn't 
you, I don't think you can state that enough times. I mean, and, and I go to that and feeding kids right after they work out. I mean, it's such an advantage because even the kids that aren't great athletes and football players are at least going to be strong. And in high school football, you're going to have some positions that they just don't have enough kids that are great at every position. But if they can be big and strong, then, then they can make up for it a little bit. Oh, no doubt. And then even your twos and threes for the show looks, are that much better. Right. Just your whole quality of practice improves. Um, and then, you know, what's underrated and what people in BA probably don't appreciate is how much Coach A and Coach L are at the weight room, at the facility. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unreal. They're just there all the time. Just, you know, if kids want to come in, grab a sandwich, want to get a lift, get on the jug, you know, they're there for them. And that's, that was the coolest part about BA is those kids had a second home and they could always go there. Indoor man, that I I'll keep telling you the indoor got built. Like you said, man, that was like building another home for those kids. It gave them like a clubhouse to hang out with, and it was a cool place to hang out. And and all they did then was get better at football and and eat. And yeah, and it's, a, and it's a safe place, right? You know, yeah. Coach A would say that all the time. You know, that after a tough loss, for some reason, those kids always hung around the indoor just a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. You know, we found them watching college football with us. And uh, it's because it's a safe place and they're comfortable around you guys. Well, then, you know, and another thing I would have to assume that, that you would enjoy as a, as a wide receivers coach and, and um, as a former OC when you came over to Broken Arrow was being able to coach, you know, you've said Coach Alexander, Coach Ellett, but being able to coach with Coach Wilkinson had to have been um, a, an awesome thing too because although we didn't throw it probably as much as he had in the past, he did have so much uh, stuff in the past game and, and, you know, one of the things that he does so well that I think Walls does well uh, as well is letting uh, his, his assistants um, do, a, a, do a lot, even in the game planning. And so, you know, you were uh, a very crucial point in, in helping him with game planning as well. And, and I'm assuming, you know, I, I don't get the full benefit of Coach Wilt because I don't understand most of the past game. And I'm not even to a point yet where I, I know that I, I – cares a ton about learning too much about it I still got so much in the run game but I'd have to assume as a pass guy and as a, a former OC and as a receivers coach that had to have been a, a really cool thing as well yeah that that was huge for my development um just being around I hope he doesn't listen to this but <laughs> he's definitely going to now <laughs> no just being around Jay um seeing how how he game plan how he went about those meetings, um, how he put together the offense. I guess we kind of all put it together that first year. Um, but going through those meetings, I just learned so much because, you know, football is putting together an offense is almost nothing about plays and just how, how you put everything together in a, into a system. And that was one of the biggest things I learned from Jay. And then he's just so stinking smart with offensive football. You know, he's a, what, a 10 personnel air raid guy or Tony Franklin, or I don't even remember what he was. Yeah, he went – it was it was Franklin originally. He went yeah. to the uh, – somehow he worked something out to where he got to go to some of the Franklin camps. He was telling me about it. Um, I think he's got all the secret tapes that everyone wants. I'm, I'm <laughs> no, that's allegedly. He either does or not. But going from that to, you know, where B.A. getting in big personnel, grinding the run game, that was so impressive to me that he came in day one and we're like, oh, he's not just a pass guy. You know, he's mm-hmm. just knows football. And that kind of pushed me to get my butt in gear and 
learn more about overall offensive structures, learn about different systems. And uh, yeah, it was real fun working with Jay and just, he, he showed me that you can have fun and still be serious at the same time, you know? And uh, cause we had a lot of fun those game plan meetings, but we got a lot done on mm-hmm. those Saturdays as well. <laughs> how, how, I've always thought about this and pondered this one, like how, how long do you think it would have lasted? If you guys would have went 10 personnel, how, how long would it have taken Coach Alexander to lose his mind? Uh, I don't – I don't, I don't, I don't – <laughs> Here's the thing about Coach A. He, he, will, he would have just went up to the board after week one and said, <laughs> man, we need, I think we need to run this plan. It would have been 22 personnel power. <laughs> That's right. And if we wouldn't have installed it, stuff would have went down. <laughs> That's exactly right. Now, I will say this, though. If it would have worked, I think he would have been all for it. Yeah. You know, obviously, he wants you know, to win, right? He wants to win. You know, he, in, his, in his mind with what we had, and, and I was with him that year, we needed to be into some bigger stuff and, and uh, maybe didn't have the quarterback that could sling it all, all around. Um, and so he was right. But, but like you said, if, if it was 10 personnel and we were killing teams with it, um, I think he'd have been a lot more apt to it. I'll tell you who uh, I felt bad at times for was Coach Dixon, who had to call the JV games. Um, <laughs> you never knew, you know, you never know which Coach Alexander is going to come to the JV game. And, and oh. sometimes, uh, <laughs> you know, he's got Coach Wilk, who obviously is quarterback coach as well. So he wants, you know, to, we got to throw the ball a little bit uh, for the different quarterbacks and get them seeing it. And, uh, you know, Coach Coach A wants certain runs. I want certain runs. and and uh, as some guys want runs, so, you know, kind of hurry up the game, but we still got to get passes. And so uh, that was definitely not a, uh, a position that I was envious of those two years, Coach Dixon. Until you got it. <laughs> I know, but now, now I'm kind of the dumb guy, so he takes it a little bit more easy on me. <laughs> no, th- those, those were fun games. JV games are the best, yeah. you know, and, and they still are. We have, NAI, you can have a JV program, so we have one. And uh, and I still get to call it in JV games. So that is awesome. That that hasn't changed. I'm still still living in that world, Rowdy. <laughs> How many JV games do you guys get to play? Um, I think uh, I do the scheduling for it. Let's see. <laughs> uh, me and the head coach do the scheduling. Uh, I think we're playing five next year, and I think we played five this year. That's awesome. That's got to be great for those kids. I mean, because especially in college, I mean, at a high school level, they're going to get to play, um, you know, JV or some, you know, ninth grade, eighth grade football. They're going to be playing some football in high school. There's a chance, uh, you know, at Houston, there'd be guys come in and for five years, all they would get to do is practice their whole career. And, and you know, that it is what it is, but it kind of sucks. And uh, I don't think you're going to be the best football player you can be with without playing games. Yeah, I mean – how much better can you get by just playing real live football? Yes. So unless unless you redshirt and you come to Dort, you're gonna play for four years. You know, and you know, we had a offensive lineman this year. He started out the year on JV. Okay, we go in to play Morningside around week six or seven, and an injury goes down, and he'd been starting to show promise and promise. We stuck him in there his first play, he puts the dude on his back and gets number one team in the country. And uh, that was because he'd gotten better throughout the entire year of playing real football, you know, and now he's going to be a three, three-year offensive lineman for us. And he's six six two eighty, And we're really excited about him, but he started out playing half season on JV, just to get that development. 
And that's something that's unique to the NAI. I think Division Three might have it as well, is that you can play those type of games. And it's just exciting for those kids, keeps them engaged. And we just get to have a bunch of fun out on the road for the JV. Let it rip, man. That'd be fun. Well, well, Coach, we've, we've uh, taken up enough of your time, especially with, uh, with the new little Coach Dixon, 11-day-old, uh, which I'm still mad we haven't got to see yet here in Broken Arrow. Um, you got to bring her down uh, to see the, the state championship ball at least. Uh, and, but, uh, but the last thing I always like to ask people is, is uh, when you're watching an offensive line, and, and uh, I know obviously Tag did an unbelievable job, so you get to see the great coach there. I'm sure you've got a great one. Um, at where you're at, and then obviously with Coach Alexander and and everything that Broken Arrow had going, you've been around it a bunch. Um, but what are some things that you look for in an off? You know, what's some things an offensive line to be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Yeah, well, Rowdy, you're a pretty good one too. So, well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So when I see an offensive line that is like walking to the line, communicating. Right. That's the first thing I notice, And that kind of piques my interest. And when they get in a good, strong stance that are all fairly similar, I'm like, OK, they've been coached up. Um, and then once the play starts, are they getting fit? Right. Are they targeting upright no matter what the play call is, what the scheme is? Um, because the thing that I think is kind of what makes a poorly looked coached O-line is when there's run throughs. Right, mm-hmm. and if guys are running through, yeah. then something's wrong. It's been miscommunicated, or they don't know what's going on. Um, and then, kind of the last thing is, I want to see the finish and the nasty. I thought that's something you did really well, Rowdy, and probably with some Brady influence on that. Um, and when I see guys finishing to the whistle, running to the ball, uh, finishing blocks, and not just one or two, like all five mm-hmm. are finishing. To me, that means their O line coach at least holds them accountable. Mm-hmm. right they're they're finishing things and if they're not then at least in practice you can tell that they've been told that that's not correct and they need to fix it um so those kind of things you know fit to finish no run throughs um finishing the play you know those are all coach controlled things that can happen you know because if it's just one or two guys doing it then that just might be the people right good players that, that player just may be really good and have that in them but if you're getting all five and then when you get that injury, number six, number seven come in, they're still doing it. That's when you can tell they're really well coached. Coach, man, couldn't agree more. I love that, the aspect of the, the accountability, too. I mean, it's not, not only that. I mean, am I holding them accountable? But the, the kids re- respond, and they respect their coach. You know, they're, 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 you, know you still get a lot of coaches that will yell at them and, and yell and yell and yell, and the kids still won't do it. But when they, they actually do it and they enjoy doing it, I think that is a, a big-time reflection. And, and I, I know we only got to know each other for about a week or two there at BA, uh-huh. man. But I always told Coach Harper, uh, if if I would have coached at BA, it would have been a blast to coach with you, man. I think you're a, a phenomenal coach, and from everything he tells me, a phenomenal human being. So awesome to have you finally on the podcast, brother. Yeah, appreciate you guys. You guys are doing a lot of good things, and it's a lot of fun listening to you. And I've been like, yeah, I know those guys. But <laughs> thanks for letting me come on. I doubt we'll be breaking any listening records with this one, but. Um, it, it was a blast and, you know, I'll just call you guys up off the record and talk some ball sometime. Sounds good, Ben. Thanks for, uh, taking an hour and a half out of your day and, and, uh, tell Liz, I said hello and, and can't wait to see the little one, man. 
And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.